This is a reading of the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 1 to 14, which is found on page 820 of the Pew Bible. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one one side with three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. While I was watching, another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads and was given authority to rule. While I was watching in the night visions, uh, night visions, a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. There were eyes in this horn like a man's, and it had a mouth that spoke arrogantly. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. I watched them because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their authority to rule was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me, and the visions in my mind terrified me. I approached one of those who were standing by and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he let me know the interpretation of these things. These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth, but the holy ones of the the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one different from all the others, extremely terrifying with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring, crushing and trampling its feet whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and the other horn that came up, 
before which three fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke arrogantly. That was more visible than the others. And as I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them until the Ancient of Days arrived and a judgment was given in favor of the holy ones of the Most High. For the time had come and the holy ones took possession of the kingdom. This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the Holy Ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the Holy Ones will be handed over over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene, and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the interpretation. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. This is the word of the Lord. G'day. My name is James, one of the pastors here. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are big, that you are God, and we are small. And yet, you speak to us. You want us to know you. And so we want to thank you tonight for the Bible. Thank you for your word and ask that it would transform us by your spirit. Amen. Uh, Dreams are a funny thing, aren't they? Uh, You can have all sorts of dreams come your way. Uh, Weird dreams, like the dream I had this week, where I was preaching to you from the story of the Little Mermaid. And I made you all wear mermaid towels by the end of the sermon. It's a very weird dream, let me just say that. Uh, There are other dreams which are just scary. Uh, You know the ones where you're falling off the cliff? Uh, the ones where you go for that job interview and you realize you're naked. You know, they're scary kind of dreams. And there are other dreams that are just terrifying. Uh, dreams where your loved ones die, you know, where a terrorist attack happens. But no matter what type of dream you have, you always wake up, whether weird, wacky, or wonderful, and you say, what? It was just a dream. Ah, oh, it was just a dream. But for Daniel... He's had a terrifying dream, but when he wakes up, he can't say, ah, it was just a dream, because it was reality. He saw the beast-like nature of his world. And as we look around our world, things start to get more and more scary. What do you do? Who, Who do you turn to? How do you feel as you look around our world? That's where we're going to go tonight. Uh, you would have realized, as we, Daniel 7 was read out, that we're in different territory in this book. 
We've been driving along through chapters 1 to 6. It's been stories. Uh, it's been familiar stories. Daniel and the lions then. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As you get to chapter 7, you realize this is different. We're not in Kansas anymore. You know, things have changed, right? Uh, this is apocalyptic uh, literature. Apocalyptic means to reveal. And uh, there's two common responses with apocalyptic literature, right? The first is you're sort of driving along and you see apocalyptic literature and you think, I ain't going in there, right? I'm going to stop, I'm going to turn around, right? Because it's too weird, too unusual. Uh, the second response to apocalyptic literature is to drive and then to drive in, but then to focus on the minute details. You know, what's this saying? Is this Trump? Is this Pol Pot? You know, trying to work out who's who. Love the details. Both are not what apocalyptic literature is for. Apocalyptic literature is there, it's a genre, to invoke the motions. Not to give you more head knowledge, but to uh, make you feel immense fear and yet hope. It's like if you've ever been to Sydney Opera House to see the orchestra play. Uh, you don't come away thinking, you know what, they played a, a B, then an A, there was an A, a, a flat, and there's an F sharp. You, know, you don't come away thinking that, you think that was breathtaking. That piece was amazing. That's, that's the goal of apocalyptic literature. And as we begin with Daniel's dream, this collage painted in his head, let's see what happens to him and the purpose of this dream. He's there laying in bed. And this is what he sees in verse 2. In my vision at night... I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, it's important to realize the sea, for the Jews, was a ferocious, uncontrollable, scary place. For us, we go down to Balmoral. It's calm. It's peaceful. The only thing scary is the price you pay for parking, right? <laughs> 24 bucks for half an hour. It's, that's, that'll... Send shivers up your spine. I mean, it's horrifying. But the sea for the Jews was a, a, a terrifying place. And from the sea, it vomits up this zoo of frightening animals. So what I'd like to do with you, I'd like you to imagine that you're Daniel and you go to sleep. Close your eyes. Some of you, this will be easier than others. You do this most weeks. But I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to tell you the dream, right? So close your eyes and pretend you're Daniel and I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine you're staring at a wild, ferocious sea. And from it comes a massive lion, fierce and scary. But, but this is no ordinary lion, for on its back were wings like an eagle. And as this beach, beast approaches you, you notice that it begins to evolve. Losing its wings, it, it transforms bit by bit into that of a human. Then suddenly, behind this line, you hear a roar. Another beast is coming up from the deep. This time a bear. But within this bear's mouth are bones from its previous kill. But it is not satisfied. It wants to devour again. And its eyes are on you. If that was not enough, another creature appears. This time a leopard Quick and agile, it runs about. It moves faster than any leopard you've ever seen before with wings to aid it. 
you look closer and this leopard does not just have one head but four. It's constantly looking around for, for prey. Nothing can escape its gaze. But then, something horrifying. You're not sure what it is. It's so unlike all the others. As it appears, you recoil. It's grotesque. It's deformed. It's covered in horns. This monster is massive. As you look up, you look closer and see that its teeth are made of metal. Razor sharp and ready to bite. And you step back. For this beast is on the move, and wherever it walks, it crushes everything in its path. As you stare in horror at this thing, you notice amongst the horns, a a small horn erupts amongst them. And on top of this horn is, is an eye, and it stares directly at you. And then you wake up. If you had a dream like that, you'd probably be thinking, I've been playing too many video games, or I'm on LSD, right? Something like that. It's just a crazy, wacky dream. But a dream like this was given to Daniel for a purpose. Given by God to Daniel for a purpose. It was to show the reality, the evil of the world that Daniel lived in. See, Daniel woke up sweating. He woke up overwhelmed by having a dream like this. But he had no problem identifying the beast-like nature of the world that he lived in. See, each beast here represents sort of a corporate rebellion, uh, an empire, a kingdom, a king. See, uh, as they come up bit by bit, people think, oh, maybe the lion represents Babylon. Maybe the bear is Persia. Maybe the leopard is Greece and this final beast is unknown. But whatever it is, what is important is one by one, powers come up from the deep and they seek to devour, they seek to take control, they seek to swiftly take others out. So if you have one sinner, one individual, they can do some damage. But if you get a group of sinners together, Sometimes the consequences can be devastating. Because when a group of sinners have an idea, a movement, a goal, and they're against another group, sometimes the consequence can be horrific. You think about every ism in the world, every movement, every ideology, and it has blood on their hands. You look throughout history, whether it's uh, fascism, colonialism, whether it's... uh, 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 let me say this right. Uh, oh, what's the word? Capitalism. Oh, gee, that's one. Whether it's capitalism, um, whether it's racism, whether it's chauvinism, whether it's feminism, whether it's atheism, whether it's religion, every movement throughout history has blood on their hands. As they try for their goal to make their name great, they often attack others. And if you think, well, what about this group? Yet to come. Yet to come. See, the problem is, and this is a a problem that probably younger people face than older people, but we look at history. We look back and we think, those guys back there were uneducated. They didn't know any better. They're a bunch of bigots. But we, 
know what we're doing. It's 2017, isn't it? We know what we're doing. The problem with that is a little poem, which goes like this. It's on the screen. History repeats itself. Has to. No one listens. Uh, Another way of putting it, Barbara Tuckman, who wrote a book, uh, The First Salute, about the American Revolution, said, Revolutions produce other men, not new men. Please don't be naive about human history. Don't be gullible to think that that was then, we're different. No, no, no. We're going to do the same things again and again and again. Kingdoms, movements, ideologies will come up, they will do damage, and they will go. History repeats itself, has to. No one listens. It's interesting. The book 1984 by George Orwell, so this dystopian world of totalitarian government, it's actually very popular at the moment. It's uh, take a resurgence in, in terms of people buying it, particularly young people. I went to see, there's a play of it at Sydney Theatre Company a couple of months ago. And normally you go to Sydney Theatre Company plays, it's a sea of grey hair, right? But this had young people. Because people are confused about the world they live in. How did we get to the state we're in now? When they look around the world, how, how, how have we gone back to the past? History repeats itself, has to. No one listens. And as you look around this world, it's pretty scary, isn't it? As, as North Korea versus USA. As racism is just everywhere. Domestic violence and abuse is so prevalent. Whether it's uh, terrorism, it just seems the new norm. And I found out this week that one in three teenagers are exposed to terrorist propaganda here in Australia online. Bullying, where everyone seems to be a troll. Uh, Where we've got financial abuse of those who are old and elderly. You look around this world and it's scary, isn't it? And the question is, what do you do? Because courts and justice systems are great, aren't they? They're a really good thing. But the problem is, they're limited. Tell you what I mean. You take someone like Hitler, for example. He did horrendous things, horrendous atrocities. Yet he never faced a judge. He never stood in the courtroom. He ended his life. What about the people in your life, people right now, who have done terrible things to you? I know the people in my life, people who people have hurt loved ones for me. I know they're going to get away with it. What do you do? What do you do with those who get away with doing terrible things in this world? Maybe they have too much power. Maybe they've just died. Maybe there's not enough evidence. What do you do? The reality is most people don't get justice in this world. And if atheism is correct, then when, if there's no life after death, then there'll never, ever be justice. The solution, you might think, is maybe we need more love, maybe we need more uh, equality, maybe we need more truth, maybe we need to listen to each other more. And there's truth in that. But you know what the Bible says the solution is? We need more judgment. It's interesting, the word hallelujah is mentioned four times in the New Testament. Four times. Three of the four are in reference to God's judgment. How? How how can you say hallelujah 
when it comes to God's judgment? The answer to that is found in verse 9 of Daniel 7. Read with me. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was blazing fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out of his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. uh, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The courts were convened and the books were opened. A couple of things to note from that. This dream, uh, there's a phrase in the dream, ancient of days. It's an interesting phrase. Another way of putting it is advanced in years. But don't imagine uh, some sort of old decrepit coming up to the throne. No, no, this is God who has been there from the beginning, who has seen all, who is objective in perspective. And notice there that he takes his throne and seats others. That there is no emperor, no king, no prime minister, no queen, no emperor, who has taken uh, their throne without God allowing it to be. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not saying that they're God's leader, right? Sometimes God gives leaders to nations as a form of judgment. But they are there, whether they were democratically elected or they forced their way in, because God deemed it to be. Whether it's Obama to Trump, Howard to Holt, Nero to Elizabeth, they are there because God allowed them to be there. A couple of other images in this great section. You notice the clothing was white like snow, reflecting that God is pure. He is perfect. That you can't corrupt him. You can't tempt him. You can't manipulate him, blackmail him. That he is perfect. You notice the the fire flowing from his presence. This fire symbolizes anger at sin. You might be thinking, I don't like like a God who's angry. You know, that, that, that really jars with me. But let me ask you a question. How do you feel about rape and abuse? I presume you're outraged. Then why won't you let God feel the same? That God's controlled anger is against everything that is evil and bad in this world. And finally, notice there that the books are open, that the court is convened, that at the end of the day, you are accountable for the life you lived, that the books note down what you've done, and the court is convened that you'll be held account. That God says that you will be judged. Now, if there's no God, if there's no judgment, then who cares what you do at the end of the day? You remember when you were in school and you had the casual teacher come in. And uh, you knew if this casual teacher uh, was soft, you could get away with doing whatever. You know, if, if they weren't going to report you to the principal, to their, to their normal teacher, give you a detention, you could do whatever you want. You could swing on the fans, you could chew gum, you could make a pea shooter. Who cares? Because you're not going to be held account for what you do. On a bigger scale, if there is no God, if there is no judgment, then who cares what you do, particularly if you get away with it? Now, you might be thinking, well, that might be all well and good, James, to have God as a judge uh, who's who's perfect, who knows all, who, who hates evil, hates sin. But God doesn't know what it's like to be me. 
He can't judge me. And you'd be right, except if verse 13 hadn't come along. It says, I continued to watch in the night visions, and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Again, a couple of things to note. Notice that the beasts come up from the sea, but this divine figure comes from the heavens, that he is God. And he is given authority by God, by the ancient days, to judge. And yet, he is one like a human. That you'll be judged by a peer. That we as sinners will be judged by the perfect man, the God-man, the Son of Man. Now, if you've ever read a gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the historical accounts of Jesus, uh, and we have a couple here which we'd love to give you if you've not read one for free. As you read it, quickly, you'll ask a question, why does Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man again and again and again? This, Daniel 7, is where he's getting it from. And uh, he, Jesus refers to himself again and again as the Son of Man. Now, most people think, particularly our Muslim friends, will say, see, Son of Man, that must mean Jesus is a human, just a human. And often uh, us Christians get this confused, where we think, Son of Man, he's like, like one of us, he's a human, and yet Son of God, he's divine. That's the important one. But to be honest, it's the other way around. Son of God is a phrase used to Jesus, but it's also referred to Israelites, to, to Adam, to others. But the Son of Man, that is a big claim. Because what he's saying is that he is the God-man. Fully God, fully human, and yet has the right to judge the world. You see how massive this claim is in Matthew 26, where the religious leaders confront Jesus. And they say, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, quoting Daniel 7, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. And these religious leaders, they recognize that claim. And they lunge to kill him, knives sharpened. How dare he blaspheme, they say. How dare he make a claim like this? And it is a massive claim. Friend, Jesus wasn't killed because he was a good guy, a nice teacher. He was killed because he claimed to be the Son of Man, that he would come rightfully to judge this world. And as Jesus is the Son of Man, that would bring us great comfort. Because you read a verse like 21 of chapter 7, and it scares me. Verse 21 says this, As I was watching, this horn waged war against the holy ones and was prevailing over them. A verse like that scares me because what it's saying is it's going to get worse before it gets better. That knowing the judge personally, true Christian, doesn't mean that life's going to be bliss and carefree. 
that you need to know that wars will continue. That leaders will rise up and do horrendous things. Racism will still continue. Oppression will sadly still be the norm. That like every other superpower, the Western world has a use-by date. And it'll finish. And if you're a Christian, it's going to be tough. You'll be mocked. You'll be misunderstood. You'll be teased. You'll be bullied. And can I just say personally, I'm terrified by this. I was looking at, uh, I was having breakfast with my nine-month-old daughter, Grace, the other day, and this rush of anxiety just went through me. Where I was, I don't know what the world's going to be like for her. You know, like, I, I can't control it. I can't predict it. And it freaked me out. And I know many of you are feeling the same because you've told me. When you look at your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren, those, those of you who love, you're worried. You're worried. What do you do? One approach is on the screen. This is a card I saw recently. Relax. Nothing is under control. Then when you look at the craziness of the world, the solution is get rid of God, then you can relax. But to be honest, I can barely stand a meeting where someone's not in control of it. Someone's got an agenda or purpose, let alone the entire universe. Because if there's no one in control, no accountability, then that's going to drive me, to be honest, to despair. Here's an alternative that I wrote. Relax, because in spite of all appearances, God is in control. Now, relax doesn't mean that God's going to keep you from pain, but it'll keep you from panicking. That you might still be afraid, but you won't be frantic. Because if we skipped over Daniel 7, if we drove around it, we would miss this important, comforting truth that God has to say to us. That's why Daniel 7 is in the Bible. Is that as you look at the terrifying beasts around you, if you look at those who have done horrendous things, to you, to those you love. As you look at them, they can fill you with fear. But Daniel 7 is saying, look beyond them to Jesus, who's on his throne, who is the judge. See, there is a battle going on between God and evil. But this battle is not like the battle that happened this week between Mayweather and McGregor. It's on the screen. These two guys. A boxing round. Ten rounds. And everyone's wondering, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Between God and evil, it's not like that. That God will triumph because He's already won. And you see that at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 26 says this, The court will convene and his dominion, that's evil's dominion, will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. Uh, in Chris and Bron's Hive group this week, uh, they talk, made a comment. Uh, someone told me, I wasn't listening in on their, on their Hive group, but someone told me uh, that they were, as they were chatting, they noticed how 
So much detail goes into describing the beasts. All these words used, and yet just a couple used for the way God is going to completely destroy them. Like a little punch, and they're gone. We need to know that. Because as you look at the, the world around us, it can be so terrifying. And we can focus on that and that. But Daniel 7 is focused on eyes on this. Jesus is the judge. That he is the son of man. That evil has an expiry date. And Jesus will come as judge to bring this world what it truly needs. Justice. Though it may not feel like it, though it may not look like it, God is in control. And Jesus is coming to bring justice to this world. And when that day comes, then we will sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you that we can find such comfort in you. Comfort in the fact that you are not apathetic about the evils of this world and the terrible things that happen to us. But you came and you are coming to bring justice. So we thank you for that. We thank you that you are in control, that you are on your throne, that you are perfect, that you know all. And we want to say thank you, God. Hallelujah to that end. Amen.